Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Hill. And today we're going to look at the readings for the fifth Sunday in Lent, specifically the Gospel lesson, St. Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 20. If you would like to listen to all the readings, you can do so by listening to the reading podcast that was dropped, dropped previous to this podcast. So we're Coming up to Easter, I think we have one more Sunday after this, and then we have uh, Holy Week and the celebration of Easter. Jesus is getting ever so close to the actual actual crucifixion, and he has enough time to tell a story. He does, and, and this this story does uh, does no no favor in winning him a larger audience with the Pharisees here, because we have Jesus who uh, uses a parable here once again to kind of um, draw more conflict with the Pharisees. And I don't I don't know if that's a, a bad thing, but here we do have the the conflict conflict brewing between Jesus and the Pharisees uh, that we we know ultimately gets him to the cross. So I, I think that's interesting that you bring that up. I, I think it's interesting that it's definitely coming to a head. There, there's definitely more happening. It's not just the Pharisees rolling their eyes and tolerating Jesus. They're out for blood. And I think it's interesting because, of course, Jesus is moments, days, whatever, away from his actual crucifixion. Why are the Pharisees so bloodthirsty now? Any, any idea, any any conjecture you want to make? Well, I can always give you my opinion. Uh, one of the <laughs> things I think is going on here is um, really his, his popularity has has continued to grow. Uh, so maybe early on, Pharisees and the Jewish authorities were kind of, well, this will go away. You know, it, Just a splash in the pan. Yeah, he's, he's got his 15 minutes of fame and this Jesus from this nowhere backwater town. This this is just a phase, you know, like kids, teenagers, they're just going through a phase. Yeah. The, the the people are just going through a phase and it, it'll move on and things will go back to normal. And that didn't happen. Uh, his popularity continues to grow. He, he starts preaching and teaching and he's making a name for himself, not for the sake of making a name mm-hmm. for himself, but um, this following has continued, uh, and he's really challenging the status quo when it comes to the Pharisees, uh, what they're saying, what they've been teaching, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that cuts really to uh, probably not the best choice of words, but their livelihood. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is what they were doing for a living. Uh, this is what they did every day. And um, and Jesus is really saying a lot of things contrary to what they've been saying and telling other people. So with that, I, I think you really set up the parable and the situation really well. I like the idea to, to just add on to this, that now you have the institutional Pharisees. These are the Jerusalem Pharisees. These are the heavy hitters. These are the big guys. Big, big league. Yeah. 
And I, I do think that they're frustrated. They're tired of hearing about this Jesus. They're, they're tired of the following, uh, his following. But I also like what you also said, the whole idea that they all their life have been teaching this one way. And then you got this young upstarter challenging the status quo. And they have to do something about it. And with that, uh, Jesus is also rocking the boat uh, when it comes to— yeah, he's good at that. <laughs> when it comes to the Romans. Yes. Um, so not only is he kind of uh, pushing back against the the Pharisees and and their ways, but he's also kind of stirring trouble uh, that that could cause even more trouble in terms of some kind of, re- of a rebellion. Um, and at that point, the Romans would have to really step in here and put an end to uh, the all this— commotion that's going on with the Jewish people. Um, so it, it's not just a, a matter of authority or, mm-hmm. or the egos getting hurt or anything like that, but there might even be uh, a, a sense of fearing for their lives because if things get out of hand with Jesus, uh, the Romans might have to step in and, and kind of put the Jewish people back uh, even further under their thumb and, and prove a point in a way. Oh, absolutely. It's an occupied state. Pilate has shown them no favors. Uh, he has not been a good and just governor. In fact, he has been sent there as his last chance because the last place he ruled did end up in rebellion and the whole army had to show up to, to save him. And so there's a lot going on. And Jesus, happy-go-lucky, decides to challenge the status quo, making friends wherever he goes by <laughs> telling these amazing stories. And this is yet another well-known story. And again, this is St. Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 20. And Jesus began to tell the people this parable. Now, again, I'm going to invite you into to my imagination. His following is there, but the Pharisees are there. And, and I think they're there just to see what he's going to do. What is he going to say now? Jesus very well knows not only what he's going to say, but the reaction. He's doing this on purpose. And this isn't poking the bear. This isn't to uh, spurn on the Pharisees. This is to make a point. And it's the point that Jesus is God. He knows what he's doing and what he's going to do. And he tells this story. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. And when the time came, for, he sent servants to the tenants so that they would give them, give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. The tenants beat the first guy and send him back empty-handed. The owner sends another servant, but they beat him and treat him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And they sent a third, and they wounded and cast him out. And then the owner gets smart. I'm going to send my son. They will see his authority. They will see that he is mine, and they'll listen to him. And as the heir was a ways off, the servants get this great idea. If we kill him, the vineyard will be ours. And so the son shows up. They throw him out of the vineyard, and they kill him. And then this is when everything goes even worse. The owner then looks at the tenants and destroys them so that he can let the tenant or the vineyard out to others. Okay, great story. I tell that to my kids for their bedtime story. You might have some weird dreams. Yeah. 
So let's talk about the parable before we talk about the applica- the immediate application uh, to the Pharisees. So who's the owner? That's going to be God the Father. Okay. Uh, who's the Son? The Son. The Son. God the Son. There we Jesus. Go. Jesus. That one's easy. Son, Son. Okay. So we had a very long discussion about this question. Who's the servants? So, Vicar, enlighten us. Who's the servants? <laughs> so, in the in the immediate context here, um, I'm going to say the servants here, the the ones that are sent before the Son, are going to be the prophets, um, the Old Testament prophets. Uh, those are the ones who were were sent by God uh, to the people of Israel, and in many cases, they're rejected. Uh, some of them are beaten. Some of them are killed, uh, and so with that, uh, that's kind of the the warning to the tenants of the vineyard. And who are the tenants? Okay, the tenants uh, that would be the the Pharisees, the the Jewish uh, religious authorities here of the day. Um, and you kind of set it up nicely earlier, where Jesus is talking to uh, the people. It says here, and I, I think the referent there, he's talking to his followers, mm-hmm. the people there to hear him. Uh, but as you kind of put in our minds, the Pharisees are also kind of overhearing what's going on. And Jesus uh, is not really speaking to the followers, the people in front of him. He's really speaking to the Pharisees, um, because in this way, he's kind of calling them out, uh, not those Pharisees specifically, but other religious Jewish authorities before them that rejected the Mm -hmm. prophets. But then to these Pharisees specifically, because Jesus knows that these Pharisees in front of him are rejecting him. They are turning uh, turning away from, turning down the Son of Man, um, and they are trying to get rid of him. So there's the rejection taking place, and this is kind of a, a, a subtle way of actually predicting his own death, mm-hmm. uh, and I would say resurrection is in there too, yeah. but we'll get to that part. But Jesus predicting that he is going to be rejected and ultimately killed. Um, so the idea here being that uh, you know the people of Israel turned away from God's prophets, uh, and what's better than a prophet? God himself, uh, <laughs> the Son of God, Jesus, uh, and he too will be rejected and even killed. Okay. What's the vineyard? <laughs> the vineyard, uh, you mentioned the word institutional kind of set up here earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the vineyard here is is the kingdom of God uh, on earth, um, and I would kind of equate that to the church. Okay. Um, so this idea that uh, it is God's church, um, and then we know that Jesus comes and he is uh, in charge of the church. He is the head of the church. He is the one who has the authority to, to say what should be going on, um, and not so in our parable here. Absolutely. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head, especially about the immediate context of the Pharisees, uh, equating them as the tenants and rejection rejection, rejection, rebellion, rejection, uh, taking matters into their own hands, acting as if they are the owners. So now we got the first commandment, uh, not listening to the prophets. Now we have a second, more specifically third commandment issue. And then this leads to the death of the son, the heir. 
And with that, it, it sends sets up this interesting dynamic of we've talked about on previous podcasts. Uh, there was a text we were working at working with where where the Pharisees, the religious leaders, especially in the Old Testament, the Jewish religious leaders, they set up this the the fence around mm-hmm. the law because they didn't even want to come close to breaking the law. Well, when that happened, and we talked about it at the time, when you set up these fences around God's word, um, pretty soon you lose sight of what that actual word was. Right. Uh, and in a similar way here, we see the Pharisees in this first century context, they've kind of lost lost their way. They've they've lost sight of God's word mm-hmm. and are fixing fixating on uh, the institution of the church that they've set up. Um, they've got their their niche. They've all got their place. They know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. They know how to pray and they're teaching people how to do this thing. Uh, but somewhere along the line, they, they've kind of forgotten what it's about in the bigger sense. And so in that way, they've kind of lost sight. They're, they're focusing on uh, the institution rather than the word. And I think that's really important because now they see this as something to protect. And Jesus is an immediate threat to the institution. Notice I didn't say church. Notice I didn't say faith. Notice I didn't say confession. It's an institution. It's an organization. They've lost the forest due to the trees. And they have built these laws, these ceremonies, these rituals, and now their saving works or their saving faith is built in, I do this good enough. If I can protect this, then I'm protecting God's Word. And I really like how you set that up in the sense that they lost God's Word. Who are they working for? They're no longer working for God. They're no longer serving God. They're serving themselves. Now, with this, I also want to be a little generous to the Pharisees. This is what they've been taught. Mm -hmm. Now, I really, really like how you brought in that very earthly aspect that Rome is right there with their thumb. And the Jews really do have to be careful. They can't be a rebellious people. They can't have um, issues with the government because the government will come in and kill them. It's not where I tax you more. They'll come in and kill them. Uh, The escalation is very quick and very fast, so on and so forth. So they also have that too. So they're trying to toe the line in a good way. Let's not rock the boat so Rome doesn't get mad. Let's not rock the boat by keeping God's law according to the way we see it. And now they've lost the complete trust and faith in who has given them everything. And I Again, not to just immediately throw the Pharisees under the bus saying that they're unbelieving heathens, but I do think that they've lost what has been given to them, what has been passed down through the prophets. And I'm, I don't really want to get into this, but I don't know if this is an outright rejection or this is what I've been taught and this is what I now protect. Mm-hmm. And that protection aspect is wrong because it's not God's word, it's not his, I like what you said, kingdom on earth, the church, the, the, the blessings of God's word and worship. I don't know what they're doing. I think it's, it's fairly safe to say good intentions, uh, but they've, they've kind of uh, lost the thread a little bit. They've, yeah. they've kind of lost the plot. Um, and, and again, I, as you 
very clearly laid out. It's not this malicious thing, but it's it's kind of a, this is what we've always done. This is the way we've been taught. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the the real situations yeah. on the ground. Um, and so it's, I think, good intentions, uh, but, but straying from uh, the truth. I appreciate that because then uh, it really comes to a head. Um, we have verse seven, or um, verse sixteen. Uh, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they, the Pharisees, heard this, they said, "Surely not." And I love this because they they get it. Why would the sun die? Why why would they do this? Surely not. This is not a good thing. They missed the boat. Uh, because Jesus continues, but he looked directly at them. And I always think Jesus, you know, uh, stoic, piercing eyes. This isn't, you know, like an angry statement with the finger and, you know, I'm talking about you. But, you know, that there, everybody has this person in their life where they can crush you with a disappointing look. Mm-hmm. And you just feel horrible. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is, is this that is written? The stone that the builder rejects has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls in the stone will be broken into pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And this great reversal, the stone that's been rejected for whatever reason, now becomes the stone that everything is built upon. There is the rock, the confession, the promise that the church is built upon, and it is the one who has been rejected as we see through this parable again and again and again and again and finally killed. This is what we hold on to. This is what the church is built upon, the kingdom of God is built upon. Uh, I like the stone that the builders reject. Uh, that, that is a very interesting statement because we have this aspect of who are the builders. Is it the Pharisees who have been given the gift of God's word to build the kingdom of God? And then the great stone, Jesus himself comes and they say, nope, we don't need them. Mm. Um, so I, I would make the case here, um, I don't know how widely accepted this is, but I, I would make the case here that the Pharisees understand what Jesus is saying insofar as uh, they understand he's calling them out. And yeah. the reason I say that is uh, the end of the parable, Oh yeah, the owner of the vineyard will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. So if the vineyard here, if we're pushing uh, the boundaries I tried to set earlier, if the vineyard is kind of the the church, mm-hmm. uh, the the kingdom, the kingdom work of God here on earth, and Jesus is saying that the owner is going to give that to others, I think that's why they say surely not, because the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders at the time, are thinking of the church as this. It belongs to them. Absolutely. It's their thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this idea that God is going to give it to others, uh, those who don't reject the cornerstone, would be unthinkable. Mm-hmm. And I've, I think this this kind of ties in with a couple Sundays ago, um, one of our readings ended with, your house is forsaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea that those who reject uh, Jesus, it's no longer... Uh, God's presence in that house because they've rejected. Uh, so here we have the the Pharisees in the text, they're rejecting Jesus. Uh, and because of that, what's going to happen? Well, there's going to be a cornerstone, Jesus Christ, and his cornerstone, he, he as the cornerstone is going to start something new. And that's going to be uh, the church 
that is found in him. So I, I think they understand that he's kind of calling them out, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't like it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that's where he turns to them, and as if he weren't talking to them already, directly addresses them uh, and, and gives them this really harsh warning uh, that rejection of him comes with with a price. There's a consequence in, attached. Well, and, and going along with that, uh, verse 19 the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. And this is great. But they feared the people. So they watched and sent spies who would pretend to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authorities and the jurisdiction of the governor. They feared the people, the following. If they were to lay hands on Jesus, they were afraid of the uprising. They were afraid of what the people might do, think, say, so on and so forth. And I think that's really interesting because the text for Ash Wednesday, uh, don't pray like the Pharisees who stand on the corner or in the synagogue and pray long prayers so that they can hear themselves. Their reward is in the praise of the people. They fear the people because they would lose authority, respect, um, whatever else that you want to connect to that. I think it's really interesting where and how quickly they go to the, the fear. It's not fear of innocent blood. It's not the fear of getting rid of somebody. But what about what the people think or do? I think that, again, I think that's just interesting. So the fear there you're thinking is is this idea that they're going to choose uh, Jesus over over themselves? Is yeah. that what you're Yeah. Okay. Um, because, again, he, they would make him, and I think it's interesting, they would make him a martyr. And they end up doing that anyway, but not at this juncture. And, I, I again, I just think it's interesting that they feared the people. If they were so sincere about this, why did they not act? And to what escalation, I don't know, nor nor do I want to ponder too far on that, because it's not given us uh, to to know. Um, I I do want to go in a different direction. I got one last thing. (laughs) I was just looking at it again. This idea that that they feared the people, uh, and you think about um, how this actually plays out when you look at uh, the plot to arrest Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, try Jesus, all those things that took place in the in the cover of night, oh, yeah. uh, because they didn't want <laughs> oh, yeah. they didn't want to stir up the people. So that really comes out uh, just a few chapters later in Luke's gospel, where you see that that fear of the people and the reaction that might come uh, from what they're trying to do uh, really plays out where, the, where, they're, where they're using the cover of night to, to carry out this plot against the, Jesus. Yeah, the legal trial. and Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, so I want to change gears a little bit, still in the parable. How do we apply this to our life? How do we see, without making Scripture about us, how is this the story of our salvation? Where do we see Christ work for us? Do we see ourselves as the tenants rejecting Jesus, killing Jesus? Do we see ourselves being crushed by the cornerstones? Are we the builders who have rejected the, the stone? I, I think this is really interesting. And again, we had a very long discussion about this because there's not a one-to-one correlation 
And at the end of the day, I really appreciated that because the question that I kept pressing Vicar on was, how did I get Jesus on the cross? How did I kill Jesus? Now, there's a really quick answer and a true answer. My sins put Jesus on the cross. That is 100% true. But now the question is, did my willful actions, did I willfully put Jesus on the cross? And this was something I was wrestling with, you know, given a choice, would I kill Jesus? I'm happy to say, no, I would not kill Jesus. Vicar, would you kill Jesus? I would. Um, what? How do we do you that? You can't hesitate. That, that's <laughs> no with the grace by the grace of there God. Go. Isn't that we just had a confirmation? Yeah. I like the with the help of God yeah, by the help. grace of God. Yeah. So there you go. No by the grace of God. Yeah. Um, so what do we do with this? Is this just a nice story? And Vicar, I, I really appreciated the direction you went. Again, putting this in its proper context in Scripture, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees. And this is a really great warning for you, dear listener, that this is what we do if we reject God. This escalation and this rejection of God all goes all the way to the death of the Son, but it's the rejection of what that death gives, what that death does. And I think that is just amazing because it really breaks it open to the depths of what Jesus does for us. My sin is an absolute rejection of God's work. I rebel against his law. I rebel against his will. But yet, what does he do? He continues to forgive. He continues to come to me. And this is the life of repentance. And this is what we, we talk a lot about in Lent. This repentance is turning away from my sinful action, my rebellion, my rejection. And what I like about this is there's a lot of tension in this parable because my sinful nature is very pharisaical. I want to be God. I don't want to listen to the pastor. I don't want to listen to the prophets. I don't want to listen to God. And with that, uh, we want to keep the the safe, secure uh, world that we build, kind of yes. like the Pharisees, you know, you know, the scribes and the chief priests, they're, they're living in this safe, sound, secure world that they have uh, been given, passed mm -hmm. down, but but then are, are dwelling in. And we too kind of create these little, uh, you know, enclaves for ourselves and we call it church and things gonna are going to be the way that I want church to be, um, despite <laughs> what the word may say, we're, we're going to stick to what we know because that's that's safe and we know uh, how that goes. Those are rejections too. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's losing sight of the actual word for the things that that we've kind of, I don't know if assumed uh, is the best way of looking at it, but, but that's definitely a problem still today. Oh, absolutely. And what I like about this is in verse 6, the statement that uh, destroy the, those tenants, the evil tenants, and give the vineyard, the vineyard to others. In the gospel, we are those others. We've been given the gift of the church. And, and Vicar, again, I thought you said this really nicely before we pushed record, that we need to know our place. This is not our vineyard. These, these are not our things. But we get to be we get to live in it, we get to participate in it, and we get to benefit from it. And this really is a humbling reminder of what we could be and the gift of what we are in Christ.
Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.